0: Welcome to Running Up the Score. I am Alex Kennedy. This is my show that airs every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, where I talk all things NBA and NFL with a variety of guests. Today, my guest is Evan Sidery. does a fantastic job covering the NBA. You can follow him on Twitter or X at Esidery. Evan, how are you? Doing
1: great, Alex. It's very nice to be hanging out with you once again, and I'm excited to talk about NBA and potentially even some football as well. Pumped up for us.
0: Yeah, there's a lot going on. We'll get to football at the end. Uh, my Bucks are playing your Colts this weekend, so uh, we got to talk about that toward the end. But I want to start with this Zach Levine situation in Chicago. You know, we talked about it uh, over the last few weeks on this show just because it seemed like a, a move could be coming. Um, you know, there was talks that Levine was available, that the Bulls were kind of considering blowing up the roster, that maybe DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso, those guys could be available as well. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of what's going on in Chicago right now uh, and what are some teams that you think make sense as a landing spot for Levine?
1: Yeah, this is something we talked about a little bit last year, Alex. And it was, this team just seems like it's been like the last year or 18 months where it's just been kind of stagnant and you're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for them to finally just blow it up. We saw Portland finally do it with Damian Lillard. And this kind of feels like the next team on the list here where you've been in stagnation for, it feels like three or four years at this point, kind of just an eight seed or missed the playoffs and not really doing much on the roster. And you sign Zach Levine, you bring in DeMar DeRozan to hopefully shake things up. And it just hasn't been mixing as well as you should. So far through over 10-plus games, their net rating with their three-star players in the Cole boost Zach Levine DeMar DeRozan is negative 33. You're getting out to 33 points per 100 possession for those three guys in the court. And I think with Zach Levine, it's just kind of disturbing the way he's been kind of acting the last couple of weeks. It just seems really obvious now. I know Jake Fisher's report last week mentioned he's already once preferred destinations. Either LA, Philadelphia, Miami. So it just seems like from the outside looking in there, Zach Levine's done in Chicago. I think the Bulls are very smart to open things up to try to shop Zach Levine. I've been trying to think of potential trade packages a little bit, Alex. And the one I keep coming back to a little bit when you think of previous history with these kind of trades, the guys on longer contracts making a little bit more money than they probably should for their skill set. I go like the Blake Griffin when he got traded from the Clippers to the Pistons. It wasn't a big trade, so to say, as far as compensation goes. It was Tobias Harris, who was still a little bit of a role player back then for Detroit. He gets sent to the Clippers along with a couple of draft picks. That's kind of what I'm looking forward to as far as potential Zach Levine package. And obviously, the top teams I look out for there are the ones that Jake mentioned Miami, Philadelphia, Los Angeles. They can kind all of make a really appealing package. There's a couple of other surprise teams I want to uh, really hop on with you as well, Alex. And one of them is actually based where you are in your backyard in Orlando. They had such an impressive win last night over Indiana, the best team in the NBA, defensive rating. They dominated the best team in the offensive ring in Indiana last night on their own court. I think Orlando's going to be a really big surprise team this year. And potentially adding in a star level player in Zach Levine, that's a really intriguing option for me. What do you think about Orlando?
0: Yeah, it's very interesting because this team, you know, apparently in the offseason, they were uh they made a call at least about Damian Lillard. Um, you know, there have been times when they've kind of kicked the tires on on different star uh, guards. Um, but I, I don't know. I think uh, they like their depth. It's it's funny because they have a really deep backcourt. Uh, they don't have a star level player, but they have you know Markel Fultz, Anthony Black, Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony. But like three of those guys are very similar as players too, which is interesting. Uh, and there's been talk, you know, since basically the draft when they drafted Anthony Black that one of these guys might get moved. Uh, it, you know, that's kind of the big question: what they're going to do with their backcourt going forward? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think part of the part of the issue is that they want. Paolo and Franz to kind of have the ball in their hands quite a bit. And they like the idea of having these two 10 creators who can, you know, create for themselves and, and others. So I don't know if they want a player like Levine that would want the ball in his hands quite a bit. Um, you know, that's going to be the interesting thing, you know, is again, but then again, they they made the call about Lillard. So I don't know if that's just their preference right now or if that's their preference going forward as they keep building with Paolo and Franz. Um right. I think Levine's contract definitely complicates things. I think that could maybe be something that uh, scares teams away, including maybe Orlando. uh, Because I don't think they view themselves as like one piece away from being a contender. So you're taking on that big contract uh, and maybe not improving enough to make it worth it. Um, But it's definitely interesting. I know there's a lot of Magic fans that are calling for them to find some kind of star guard or put a star alongside, you know, Paolo and Franz. Um, So it is interesting.
1: Yeah, I think another maybe under-the-radar team, and just real quick on Orlando before I dive into that, Indiana is a team that mentioned in the offseason that they want to take things slow organically. And Orlando is kind of the same thing to me. I don't know if you've heard the same thing or not down there, but with Orlando, they have such a promising young core. All these guys that are under 25 years old, there's really no need to rush. And you can let those guys internally develop, let that core coalesce together, and then two or three years down the road, you could organically be a top three seed in the Eastern Conference if all the chips fall their way. So... I think it's a good good counter argument there, Alex. Which is to just let that thing grow in Orlando. But one team that I think Shams Rania mentioned last week that I wanted to touch on with you as well, that kind of threw me for a loop a little bit because this team kind of seems like they're going either one way or the other way. And no one really knows. But Toronto, I don't know why they would be interested in Zach Levine. But Shams did mention him last week and said Masai Ujiri is going to, for sure place a call to Chicago about Zach Levine. So I, I'd imagine that's probably built around Gary Trent, maybe Grady Dick, maybe a couple filler salaries in there as well. Toronto's a team to me where I feel like they, they're another team, just like Chicago. They should be kind of maybe looking towards blowing it up a little bit. Maybe you shop off OG and and Pascal Siakam. But if Masai Ujiri is kind of trying to save his job a little bit, if he wants to make an aggressive move, you could probably get Zach Levine for pennies on the dollar there. and Maybe that could be a surprise to him.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting because, I mean, it almost reminds me of like the Jakob Hurdle trade where everyone's expecting them to maybe sell off a piece or two and, and maybe enter into a rebuild. But then instead, is like, no, we're going to be aggressive and we're going to go add a win now piece. Um, and I, I, I can understand the thinking there. Um, having Levine, OG, Pascal, Scotty, Purdle, you know, that's pretty interesting. But I don't know. Again, it's it's one of those things. We talked about this last week uh, on the show, myself and Kurt Heelan from Pro Basketball Talk. It really comes down to how teams or executives view Levine. Like, how do they value him? Do they think that adding Levine is kind of like that final piece that can make them a contender? You know, when we're talking about teams like Orlando or Toronto, I don't know if they would, you know, suddenly jump up to the top of the East and be able to compete with, you know, teams like Boston and Philly. Um, I, I'm not sure they would be... For what you're taking on as far as this contract, I'm not sure you're improving enough for it to really make sense. Um, Now, I think he's a very talented player. Obviously, a great scorer. We've seen, you know, freak athleticism, slam dunk contest. But when Jake Fisher was on the show, he was saying that there's a lot of executives that worry about how his stats and uh, accomplishments haven't really translated to winning. So I wonder how executives are kind of viewing Levine right now. And um, you you have to also wonder, you know, had the Bulls maybe done this sooner— could that have actually helped them? And and could they have gotten more back if it was like a year ago? Um, Because, I mean, there was a lot more hype, I think, around Levine as like a trade candidate a year, year and a half ago. Um, So yeah, I'm very curious to see which teams pop up as Dark Horses. I do think that it will probably be one of the teams that has been reported. But even that, like the Lakers, the Heat, there are some of these teams that have been mentioned, the Sixers, and apparently they have shown little interest so far. Uh, And who knows? That could be them waiting. You have a team like Philly that's been playing well. They might want to see what they have a little bit before pulling off some kind of big trade. But I don't know. It seems like uh, the teams even that have been mentioned as like the top candidates to land him, according to reports, they're not really rushing to make a trade or showing a ton of interest so far. So I don't know. I think this is a very interesting situation. I think if you're Chicago, you know, maybe you wait until the trade deadline and hope that one of these other dark horse teams kind of pops up or one of the main teams uh, becomes more interested and is willing to, you know, increase their offer. Um, And then also, I think you have to be having conversations about DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso. Uh, Kurt, last week, made the point that guys like DeRozan and Caruso could actually have a bigger market than Levine because Mm -hmm. of their contracts and the fact that they just seem to fit with more teams, especially someone like Caruso. You know, I feel like most teams could use a guy like Caruso. He's not going to cost as much to land him. His contract isn't crazy. You know, what do you think about the market for guys like DeRozan and Caruso?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're a GM and you see Zach Levine's salary is about $40 million, and you put together DeMar DeRozan and Alex Caruso, that's combined. They're making less than Zach Levine. It's around $37 million. If you're a GM in Philadelphia, if you're looking at Los Angeles, why would you use those picks and assets on Zach Levine when you could potentially get both DeRozan and Caruso for the same price? If you put those two together in the same package, I would definitely go that route compared to Zach Levine. And I think those those are teams I watch out for, especially a like Philadelphia. I think it makes an awful lot of sense for a guy like DeMar DeRozan, a player like Alex Caruso as well, where they could package those salaries that they put together from the Clippers trade, from James Harden, where they have Marcus Morris, Robert Cummington. But two's played really well for them. So I, I doubt he might not he might be moved. But those salaries and that kind of deal for a DeRozan, for a Caruso, I think that makes a lot of sense for them. I think especially Jake Fisher mentioned his report last week as well, Alex, that Alex Caruso probably get the most value of any player on this bowl's roster, which kind of took me aback for a little bit. But once you kind of take a step back and realize the value of Alex Caruso and the way he's playing so far this year, he's shooting almost 45% on threes, one and a half steals per game. He's a, a true two-way defender, all-NBA all de- Defensive player last year as well. He can at least be at least two protected first-round picks, in my opinion. And I think any contender, obviously, could use Alex Caruso. Same for DeMar DeRozan. So if I was a GM, I would certainly go – in the direction of Rosen or Caruso compared to Zach Levine. Because like you mentioned before, Zach Levine, he has really shown throughout his career, he's a winning type of player. Those quests were around Devin Booker throughout his career in Phoenix before you got those big pieces around him. He's kind of proven that label wrong. But Zach Levine hasn't really had the opportunity just yet to have those star little players around him to see exactly what he could do. I think maybe you put him in a situation like Philadelphia next to Joel Embiid, next to Tyrese Maxey, or in Miami or in Los Angeles. I think that's a place where Zach Levine should go not be your number one, number two option. I think Zach Levine, even though the price tag is pretty obscene for it, might be better off as your third option on a real championship contender type of team.
0: Yeah, I can see that working well. I think a change of scenery will be good for him. Um, I've always heard great things about Levine in the locker room and stuff too. Like I know when Vooch got traded to Chicago, Levine was like the first one to welcome him and like gave him a tour around the city. And like, he's been a good teammate and From everything that I heard, he's been good in the locker room. Now, obviously, you know, your point, he's made some comments later. His camp is making some requests or saying, hey, we don't want to go to New York. We have this preference. But I mean, that that every star that becomes available, you hear that kind of stuff. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, anti-Levine or that I think he's like a cancer in the locker room because I don't think that is true. But I agree. You know, maybe the best thing for him at this stage of his career is to go play with a couple other guys that where he doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting. Isn't the number one have this crazy workload? You know, maybe you know he's kind of done that now. I'm sure at his at this stage of his career too, he wants to go contend somewhere and try to compete for a championship. So to your point, going to play with Embiid and Maxi or LeBron and AD or one of these other you know cores uh, of stars, I think that would actually make a lot of sense for him. But yeah, I would not be surprised if Caruso uh, has the biggest market, you know, there's going to be a bidding war for Caruso probably, because again, he can fit on every team. Every team's looking for a great perimeter defender who can also knock down threes at a high clip. I mean, there's going to be a ton of teams showing interest in him. Uh, he's also again, shown that he can be a great locker room guy, glue guy, you know, it's kind of everything that you want in a role player. So I think there's gonna be a big market for him. Um, and he's not on a crazy contract. Even when he signed that deal, everyone's kind of surprised that, you know, uh, he didn't get more. So I think He's definitely going to be one of those guys that, uh, as the traded line gets closer, you're going to hear his name popping up a lot with a ton of teams showing interest. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Prize Picks. If you haven't tried daily fantasy sports on Prize Picks, you're missing out. You pick two to six players and whether they'll score more or less points than their prize pick projection. If you're right, you win big. You can win 25 times your money on any entry. At Prize Picks, you aren't competing against other people, which might include experts and sharks, it's just you versus the projections. PrizePix offers projections on virtually every sport, NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, soccer, WNBA, eSports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, and more. You can mix and match players from different sports, so you could have Steph Curry and Patrick Mahomes in the same entry, for example. If you download PrizePix today and use the promo code RUNNING, They'll double your deposit up to $100. That is the promo code running, and they will match your deposit up to $100. It takes 30 seconds or less to build a lineup. To show you how easy it is, I'm going to build an entry right now. All right, we're on Prize Picks. They have a special for Thanksgiving Day. If Christian McCaffrey has one rushing or receiving yard, then you win. So we're obviously going to take advantage of that. Christian McCaffrey, more than 0.5 rush and receiving yards against Seattle. And then I like Jameer Gibbs, uh, more than 78.5 rush and receiving yards against Green Bay. Uh, Obviously, splitting carries there with David Montgomery, but he's been very involved, not only in the running game, but also the passing game. So I think he can hit that. Uh, This will make the Thanksgiving Day games more interesting. Looking forward to watching those. Uh, Let's do a $20 entry. If I win, I get 60 bucks. And there we go. We're entered. Thank you to Prize Picks for sponsoring this episode. Again, use that promo code RUNNING and they will double your first deposit up to $100. And take advantage of that Christian McCaffrey deal. I mean, one yard on Thanksgiving Day and you win. So take advantage of the CMC deal and use that promo code RUNNING and they will double your first deposit. Let's get back to the episode. You mentioned the Phoenix Suns. I want to talk about the Suns. You know, you've covered this team for, for a while, spent a lot of time around these players, these executives. What do you make of this team right now? Because... Obviously, we haven't seen him at full strength. Bradley Beal is going to miss three weeks at least, and then they're going to reevaluate him with his back injury. I know there's Suns fans that are frustrated about, uh, you know, Beal not being able to, not being available, not seeing the big three together yet. Um, There's no question this team has a ton of potential when they're at full strength, but I've also seen some people kind of already making comparisons to, like, the Brooklyn Nets trio with KD, Harden, and Kyrie, just because it seems like they haven't been able to get in the floor at the same time. Now, granted, it's it's early. Hopefully, we can see them play together soon because I think it'd be a ton of fun. And they could be one of the best teams in the West if they're all together. Um, but the lack of depth has been concerning. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge fan of the use of Nurkic trade when it happened. Sam Amick and I talked about that on this show, wondering if it was really an upgrade or if it was a move they felt like they had to make because things with DeAndre Hayden had just gotten so bad that they had to kind of find the next best option available at that time. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of what the Suns have shown so far? And are you concerned given the Bradley Beal injury?
1: I wouldn't say I'm concerned just yet. If Beal's still having these issues, let's say after New Year's, then I would, I would start to be a little bit concerned because at that point, that would be a, a three-month injury for Bradley Beal where it's a sore lower back. And as we know, back issues in the NBA, especially as a, a guard, those can be hampering all throughout the year. You can't do a regular jump shot. You can't do your regular workouts here and there. So I think the Suns also know that right now, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but I think right now, the season to them doesn't matter. It's all about April through June for them because they put all these investments into Bradley Beal and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and just let those guys get healthy. I think they're being just extremely precautious with Bradley Beal. He could probably play in a couple weeks if he really wanted to, but I would not be surprised if Bradley Beal really kind of, sat this thing out until around Christmas time, and maybe at that point you let him get back and get his legs under him because back injuries are not something you play around with. Those can linger. We saw with Devin Booker before with his cap issue before. He re-aggravated it early this season when he came back, and he played one game and he sat up another week or so. So I think the Suns are just learning from having those three players healthy at all times is very crucial for them long-term. But I think the, also the counter to that, Alex, would be you're putting so much pressure on Kevin Durant, especially right now. He played 48 minutes last night. In a double overtime game, he should have. He can't. He can't be doing that. Like at this point in his career, I know Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. He's off to one of his best starts in ten plus years, but he can't be doing that because you need to save him and his energy for April through June. And you can't have a situation where Kevin Durant's having a great season and we get later on in the year and he gets hurt and he's missing a significant, significant amount of time. So I think it's just a delicate balancing act that the Suns are trying to do right now with Bradley Beal. But at the same time, you need to make sure Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are overworking themselves, which is exactly what's happening right now because. All the offense creation is on Devin Booker's shoulders and Kevin Durant's. Devin Booker is looking, I don't know about you, Alex, but he's looking like a top five point guard in the NBA so far this year with the way he's playing. And he's, I think he's really learned a lot from Chris Paul when he's around him for three years in Phoenix. And he's even mentioned that posting press conference so far this season. And he's averaging, and I've seen the amount of points generated per game. He's right behind Tyrese Halliburton as far as points generated per game, around 50, 52 per game, I believe, or 56 per game. And you see exactly how he's moving the system along you place them right back in and they're winning, winning right away again. So I think it's just about those star players staying healthy for them. Bradley Beal and that injury is a little concerning for me, but if we circle back around here around Christmas time, it's still an issue. Then I will start to probably ring alarm bells a little bit.
0: Yeah. I'm hoping it's not going to be a nagging thing that keeps popping up. You know, I remember covering like Tracy McGrady back in the day uh, and, and seeing, you know, you, you hear like back tightness and back spasms and back injury and that's concerning because it ultimately, you know, affected his career for the long run. Like he he would deal with that and miss games and it would pop back up randomly. So hopefully it's a minor thing and they're just being super cautious and, and he'll come back and it's no longer an issue. But those kind of nagging injuries are the ones that tend to be the most concerning in my opinion. So hopefully it's nothing. Um, but yeah, I agree with you on Devin Booker. He's been fantastic. I mean, it's, I was so wrong with him, like, or, or so wrong about him like a couple of years ago because, you know, I had talked to executives. You mentioned, you know, he kind of had the, Uh, reputation for not being a winner and uh, there was was a scathing quote given me by an executive just talking about how like every step of the way he had just been like a scorer and like a me first player and then he was rewarded with it with uh, max deals and shoe contracts and all this different stuff so they were like why would that guy change now Uh, but he has just turned into an awesome player, a team first guy, great passer, I mean I I always found it kind of funny that people were like oh who's going to be the point guard, is it going to be Book or is it going to be Beal when I mean we saw, like, even in the last year or two, point book was a thing. Devin Booker looked good when he was playing point guard. Um, so I think that's not a surprise that he's stepped into that role. But the, the way he's playing and how, how great he's looked is very impressive. The other guy you mentioned, Tyrese Halliburton, he's been so much fun to watch. I, I love watching his game. He's been incredible for this Indiana team. I mean, obviously, you mentioned they lost against Orlando, and that was kind of a big hyped-up matchup because it was the number one offense, first number one defense. But this Pacers team looks awesome. I love what they did in the offseason, some of the pieces that they were able to add. Um, I think this team has a really bright future. And one of the things that I said last week with Kurt Heelan was that Tyrese is the kind of guy that other players, other stars want to play with because Mm -hmm. he's unselfish, super charismatic, gets along with everyone, has tons of friends around the NBA. Like I could see them being able to attract a star player there, or a guy becomes available to trade and they have some of the assets. And and the guy says, yeah, I would sign off going to Indy. Like I could see that happening. And, And Tyrese... Seems like that kind of franchise-changing player for them. What are your thoughts on kind of what we've seen from Tyrese?
1: Yeah, Halliburton's taken that leap, Alex. We kind of knew he was a top 35, 40 player in the league. But over the last 18 months, he's looked a part of a top 20 guy. And now, so far this year, he's a top 10 player. I mean, just simple as that. The way he's creating offense as an engine for this Indiana team, he's shooting career-best numbers. He's being even more aggressive. They're empowering Tyrese Halliburton to Be a score first player along with his facilitation. I think he's the best player in the NBA, and the numbers prove that so far this year. I think Halliburton has kind of shown he could be an all NBA level player. And at that point, Indiana, I think, knows at this point they have a superstar player, and now they have all these assets, all these young players for next summer, potentially February, where you could p- kind of push those chips in a little bit, get a guy alongside Tyrese Halliburton, and let, let this thing go. Because I think Tyrese Halliburton has shown already this season. He's ready to carry this team to a playoff berth. I think they're a top-six team in the Eastern Conference if Halliburton stays healthy. I think the way this offense has looked so far has been fantastic. Defense is always going to be a huge question with them because they're such a fast-paced team. They want to get out ahead of you in transition, so defense probably takes a backseat a little bit. And We saw it last night. When you play against a really good defense team in Orlando and you don't come out ready to play, Indiana might get boat race some nights. not just the way it's going to go, but you'll see some nights like last week against the Philadelphia 76ers in an in-season tournament game where Tyrese Halliburton carries that team, goes for a monster game against Joel Embiid and the Sixers and carries them to a win there. So I think Halliburton's ready to win. Iain Indiana's ready to win. And they have two extra first-round picks in this year's draft. They also have a, a really intriguing uh, filler sire they can put in any trade. And Buddy Heald is making about $20 million. So they're a team to me where if they're overachieving, let's say, in February, Alex, maybe a guy, Kyle Kuzma, can make sense for them. Maybe a guy, like Brandon Ingram, potentially this summer, if, if, he, if things don't go well in New Orleans. That's a guy I've been looking at potentially as a, a trade target for Indiana. I think Indiana is ready to kind of push these chips in. They're already so young and they're already so deep too where a top 10 pick that got a lot of hype in Jairus Walker isn't even cracking the rotation. That's how deep this roster is and I think it's time to kind of push those chips in for Indiana and get Halliburton a star and I think Halliburton can kind of steer the wheel a little bit for the future. I think Indiana should be very excited because a couple of years ago, Alex with Brogdon, TJ Warren, Sabonis and Turner, it's a very boring team. It's a very lifeless team and even the, the front office and Rick Carla mentioned what the energy in that building was not great. And Tyrese Halliburton just instantly changed things when he arrived there 18 months ago. And just the way they've changed things there and the way Tyrese Halliburton continues to take his trajectory up even higher and higher and higher levels. I think Indiana and in their future is very bright.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I love what they're building there. I think Tyrese is like the perfect player to build your team around. You know, uh, I did an article on him uh, last year and they talked about how You know, he's showing up at, like, high school basketball games uh, in Indianapolis. And and fans are loving that. And he's, like, ingratiating himself in the community. He's doing a lot of different events. Obviously, uh, he's saying all the right things about wanting to be there for his entire career. And, you know, it's Indiana. They they don't have—just like Orlando— they've lost stars over the years and it's hard to find guys that, you know, want to go stay there for their entire career. You know, there are, there is exceptions, obviously, but to have a guy get traded there and say, no, this is where I want to be. You know, this is a fit in terms of my personality. I grew up in an area like this. Like, I I love this. This is kind of where I want to be. That's obviously what fans want to hear. So yeah, I love what they're building. I think that trade was awesome for them. Um, Let's talk about the other team in that trade, Sacramento Kings, because I was harsh. I didn't like the move for them. I felt like they were giving up a, superstar level player or a guy with superstar potential for a win now mood, move that wouldn't really upgrade them that much. But, granted, you know, they, they were able to end their playoff drought. They're playing well this year. Over the offseason, I was very surprised. They were uh, one of those teams that the over-under, I want to say it was like 38 wins for them or 39 wins. And that seems super low given what we saw from them last year. Now they're the fourth best team in the Western Conference. They've won uh, six great games. What are your thoughts on kind of what we're seeing uh, in Sacramento? I, I think... Part of the reason for their early season struggles was the De'Aaron Fox injury and stuff like that. Um, But now, I mean, they're back, and they're looking like one of the top teams in the West again.
1: Yeah, De'Aaron Fox, speaking of that trade, I think, I can't remember a better win-win trade, at least since I've been covering the NBA, Alex, where you see Indiana and Sacramento. And you look at the numbers. Demontis Sabonis has become the offensive engine in Sacramento. He's averaging around the same number of passes received and passes attempted per game as Tyrese Halliburton. And you're building that system around Sabonis, around De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox putting together in all NBA season. himself, so I think he's a sneaky dark horse MVP candidate to average around 30 plus points per game, putting up great efficiency numbers along the way, too. And we saw Sacramento really go all in this summer on continuity. And I think it was a surprise to a lot of people where they had all this cap space. We had all the buzz around. Are they going to go give Draymond Green a huge contract? And that was a huge topic throughout the summer. And so they bring back Harrison Barnes. They bring back all these players. Trey Lyles, two off their bench. And they're kind of been proven right so far. You get De'Aaron Fox back in that lineup, and they're showing they're one of the best offenses in the NBA. Their defense still has a long ways to go, but they're still one of the more fun teams to watch in the NBA. I still think they would be a top top six team when it's all said and done, just like they were last year. That over-under, like you mentioned, Alex, did not make any sense to me. It was just like Indiana, who came in at 37 and a half this year for their over-under, where you see these two teams. I think Vegas is kind of just lagging behind on how good these teams kind of are. And you're seeing Sacramento – Showing so far this year, Sabonis is an All-NBA level player, as is De'Aaron Fox. These bench players are doing great for them as well. And they're an an intriguing team for me where if you want to circle back for a second on on Zach Levine for them, because they're a team that Jake Fisher mentioned in his article last week that he could be open to the idea of going to Sacramento. And that's a player to me where if you throw Zach Levine into that mix in Sacramento, next to De'Aaron Fox, next to Devonis Sabonis and Keegan Murray, that's a legitimate top four. Maybe Zach Levine can push them up to that top four and give those teams up at the West, a legitimate run.
0: That's an interesting destination for Levine because I think right now they're a very good team, but I don't think they're like a legitimate contender that can compete with a team like the Nuggets who were on a tier of their own in the Western Conference. So, yeah, I mean, if they're willing to, especially if we're talking about Levine and not having really obvious destinations, if you can get him for pretty cheap because there's not a crazy bidding war for him, I think you have to explore that. So that is pretty interesting. Um, I want to ask you about another team in the West that's kind of exceeded expectations this year, uh, the Thunder. I've been talking about them on this show for a while now. They were one of my surprise teams entering the season. I, I chose Orlando in the East and then OKC in the West. I think everyone talks about this Thunder team and, and brings up the future draft picks and and everything, which is understandable. I mean, it's crazy how many draft picks they've, they've been able to stockpile, and they're going to be scary for years to come. But I think right now they have a really talented young core that can win games, and they're kind of showing that this year. Uh, right now they have the third best record in the Western Conference. Um, you know, Chet Holmgren's been fantastic as a rookie. And then you have SGA, Giddy. You know, they have a really nice core. Jalen Williams, they have a really nice core around... Uh, Chet Holmgren, and, and I love this young core they've built. Do you think this is sustainable? I mean, I don't want to be saying, like, this is a victory lap. It's obviously a very small sample size, so who knows if they can keep this up, but do you think they're going to be a playoff team this year, and is this sustainable?
1: I'm very bullish in Oklahoma City, Alex. So I'm right there with you. I think mean, they're a top 16 in the Western Conference this year, and we kind of saw this, these moments last year where Jaylen, the other Jalen Williams from Arkansas, their second-round pick last year, they were playing center with him full-time last season. They were still a, a team that was fighting for a playoff spot night in and night out. SGA took that superstar leap last year. Gideon Jalen Williams kind of showed that they can take another leap forward as well. And all they are missing was a legitimate big man into that mix. And now you see Chet Holmgren, the way he's played after a year off, he looks fantastic. I mean, I think he's on the same level right now as Victor Wimbanyama, which I think a lot of people kind of were doubting Chet Holmgren a little bit. I I think understandably because he was hurt last year, but he's put in nearly identical numbers to Victor Wimbanyama. I think he's been more efficient. He's on a winning environment this year. If I had to be a gambling guy and make a prediction for who wins rookie of the year, I think it's going to be Chad Holmgren, just based off of the way, the way he's playing and the way Oklahoma City's playing. I'm going to blow your mind here for a second off, but do you realize that's the best net rating in the Western Conference this year? It's the Oklahoma City Thunder. Wow. 8.5. 8.5 points for 100%, 100 possessions better than any team, and they're only trailing the Celtics and the Sixers so far this year. And that goes to show you just how good this team is. Mark Daganall has his group locked in on both both ends of the court. He's been a fantastic coach developing this young core as well. And I think with Oklahoma City, I, they should, I know a lot of NBA fans are saying, oh, the thunder of all these picks, they should consolidate them for a star. I don't know if that this is a team that you really need to go out and get a guy like Zach Levine. Maybe they're a team like, if you can consolidate and get an Alex Caruso in there instead, or maybe a DeMar DeRozan, I, that that could be a fun rental would be a DeMar DeRozan in Oklahoma City to help them push that team forward for a year or Alex Caruso if you want to consult, consolidate two or three of those future first round picks into the mix as well I think Oklahoma City is a team to watch out for in February with this Bulls team not not exactly Zach Levine but the other guys in that team I think make a lot of sense for this group and I think Oklahoma City kind of shown so far this season Shea Gillis Alexander I think is a top 10 player in the NBA Chet Holmgren I think is gonna be winning rookie of the year if all things maintain and Jalen Williams, I think, is very underrated. I think he's going to be a future multi-time All-Star in this league, be an All-NBA player down the road. A guy who can play make, a guy who can shoot from three and defend, can give you twenty-plus points per game every night. That's what every NBA every NBA team is looking for. Alex is these guys that are six foot six, six foot eight that can do everything, and Jalen Williams does that. So I'm very bullish on Jalen Williams as a future star in this league. And if the Thunder can just maintain these things and stay healthy, I think they're going to be a very force to be reckoned with. Not only this year, but I mean, the rest of this decade, I imagine as well.
0: Yeah, that's the interesting thing. Like they have this core that if they had no other future picks, we'd be talking about this core developing and and being really scary for years to come. But when you talk about 15 future first rounders, you start to get to the Indiana issue where it's like, okay, even if you draft a guy in the top 10, are you going to have room for him in, in the rotation if, you know, this is the core they're rolling out there? You know, obviously it's a great problem to have, you know, bringing in stud players every single year and trying to find, you know, minutes for them. And I think eventually we will see them kind of consolidate some of those picks either in trades or trying to move up and find another top uh, draft pick, you know, a top five guy or something like that. Because then that guy would move the needle and, you know, maybe become a starter for them. But yeah, I'm very curious to see what Sam Presley does with all these picks because they already have hit on so many of them and, and have such a nice young core. You know, what are they going to do kind of around the edges or with these draft picks? I mean, it's possible with with the, one of the things that I talked about on this show was just that it's possible we see them uh oh, I talked to Dave DeFor about it. that's who it was and he was saying because of how OKC isn't willing to spend a luxury tax or spend into the luxury tax um, and you know they they have picks 7 years out it's possible that maybe one or two of these guys move on or they can't re-sign them can't afford them and so those picks end up replacing one or two guys that leave during free agency and you kind of start over and get the get another guy on like a rookie scale contract and that could be the move where you kind of have this revolving door of talented young guys coming in the hard thing about that obviously is by the time chet and you know sga and these guys are like in their prime and trying to contend for a championship you probably don't want to be adding rookies to the mix to try to you know, take the next step and, and go compete for a championship. But if they, in a couple of years, if, you know, a guy like a Jalen Williams or a Josh Giddy, if they get too expensive, you can kind of replace those guys with those picks too. So they have a lot of options. I mean, between trading, between replacing guys, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what they do with all those draft picks. Um, last question for you, who's been the biggest disappointment for you and the biggest surprise for you this year? Um, again, entering the season, I talked a lot about how I thought Orlando and OKC would surprise, you know, I'm. I, I love both of those teams, and I think uh, you know they're showing kind of the potential that they have. Um, and I'll give my biggest biggest disappointment in a second. But for you, uh, which teams or players stand out for you?
1: I think we'll start off with the positives for me, and I think the biggest surprise for me so far this season. I was very low on this team, and I was very confused by their offseason. But now, when you look at the full picture of it, I think it makes an awful lot of sense. That's Houston. Uh, the way the Rockets have been playing so far this year, Alper and Shengun's taken a leap this year to being in that Sabonis Jokic kind of player that they hope to be. He's averaging 20 plus points per game, six assists, almost 10 rebounds per game. He's looking the part. And I think MAU Doka is, is easily the coach of the year for me, in my opinion. Just the way he's had that group locked in all season long so far accountability, which was non-existent throughout the last three or four years in Houston, just having guys chuck up shots, running like an AAU kind of system down there. Now you have MAU Doka kind of putting them back in the winning foundational categories I think this Houston team, I don't know if they make the playoffs so to say this year. They might kind of fall off here a little bit sometime soon. But I think they're a team where you look into 2024, 2025. I think they're going to be a very, very fun team to watch develop here. So I think Houston for me is a positive one. I think another positive one for me as well is going to be Minnesota. Because I, I was bullish on Minnesota last year. I think I was a little bit one year early on Anthony Edwards taking that week to being a true top five, top ten player. And that's what he's become so far this year. And Carl Anthony Towns has also had a really resurgent year so far. If you look at his stats putting together one of those best teams in a couple of years and he's playing great for them. So Minnesota has been a positive for me. And if you want to go to the negative side, I'm going to actually start off with a player here. And I found this stat last night and I was very disturbed by it as far as for a big man. DeAndre oh, is in Portland. Yeah. And I that saw was, your tweet. That, I mean, I've, I've kind of been low on Aiton for a while. I, I kind of, even when Phoenix gave him that max contract, I just wasn't a fan of that because he's been the same player since his rookie season. He hasn't really developed much of a game offensively or defensively. He had that one two-month run in the posting when we went to the finals, looked fantastic. I mean, Monty Williams had him looking like a top-five big man in the NBA. But ever since that moment, DeAndre, and I don't know what happened, whether it was just issues in the locker room with the players or Monty Williams or whatever happened there, it just didn't work out in Phoenix. And Portland made a – I think they made a risk with the trade they did, betting on DeAndre to be a legitimate all-star little big man in this league. And he has nine free-throw attempts in 13 games. That's never happened in the NBA history for any, any NBA starting center to have over a full season, less than one free throw attempt per game. This has been an issue for Aiden throughout his career. He's been not, he doesn't want to go through contact. He doesn't want to be an aggressive level player. And that's what you have to do in this league as far as being a seven-foot center in this league. You have to be aggressive on both ends of the court. And DeAndre Aiden simply hasn't been that. There's been viral clips here and there of his lack of effort in games so far. I just think DeAndre Aiden, we kind of know who he is now. And I think Portland might have buyer's remorse here if we get later down the road as far as with DeAndre Ayton. So that's my biggest disappointment. I think Chicago, as far as we covered that already, there have been big biggest disappointment as a team, but as a max level player, Alex, I mean, the way DeAndre ayton has been playing the last year plus, it just inexcusable
0: Yeah. I think Aiton's a good pick there. You know, Whenever he was available last year, there were all those rumors that, you know, the Nets weren't interested and different teams didn't really want him. So I think we're kind of seeing why now. I'm hoping it works out for him and he can turn things around there. You know, he has a lot of potential. You know, he has the talent and I'm just hoping he can kind of figure it out and, and kind of get right in Portland. Um, my biggest disappointment would be the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, I obviously figured they were going to struggle a little bit whenever Ja Morant was out. On this show, I said, you know, the first 25 games, you know, I think they will be probably 500 team. And then once Jaw comes back, they're going to really take the next step and, and be great and enter the playoffs. So, uh, you know, a team that's better than their record indicates and they can go on a run in the postseason. But it's been so much worse than I thought it would be, you know, for the first 13 games. They're 3-10 right now. They just don't look great. It looks like a totally different team. I think they're missing Steven Adams a lot, too. Uh, it's It has been pretty rough so far. So I thought that they'd still be like, you know, a middle-of-the-pack team without job because we've seen in the past they've played well at times without jaw and and you have some pieces that could step up like a Desmond Bain, who I think has played played great. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then the other pieces around him, you know, Jaron Jackson jr. They just haven't looked like the same team. So they're probably my biggest, biggest disappointment. Um, You know, we'll see what happens whenever Ja Morant comes back, but it's been pretty rough so far. I will add
1: one more team to this mix. And I have totally spaced on adding them here. And I think it's a really, they could be involved in the first topic we talked about with potentially trading for a Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan, just the way they've been struggling golden state. They've just been a completely average team so far this year. They're 15th in net rating. They're right on the Mendoza line as far as being a good or a bad team. Klay Thompson does not look like himself at all, Alex. I think it's fair to say, if he doesn't turn it around here very soon, I think they're going to have to make a very tough decision with Klay Thompson this summer. Stephen Curry still looks like Stephen Curry, though. And that's the big debate with me with Golden State now is, what do you do with those picks? What do you do with Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, this Clay Thompson contract, potentially? they could be a team to me where do they make a panic move in February or December? And let's say you trade Clay Thompson or you trade some of these young guys and go get a Zach Levine type of player to add some more juice to that offense alongside Stephen Curry. How do you, how do you think they're going to go about extending this window with Stephen Curry? Because he maybe has two or three years left of it, but it would just be such a shame for them to to kind of let this go to waste. I think Stephen Curry, if he's in those posting situations, we obviously know what he can do. So I think they could be a sneaky little team to watch out for as being a very aggressive at the deadline.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, they've been one of those teams that they've tried to kind of have it both ways where you're still a contender and have, you know, a bunch of veterans where you can win now, but also bring in young talent and develop them so that whenever this run does come to an end, you kind of have those guys that you can turn the franchise over to and they can step in. Um, So I don't know. I'm curious to see if they'd be willing to give up again. it, It really comes down to how they, how they value Zach Levine. If they think Levine is enough to kind of make them a contender again, and one of the top teams in the West and, they can compete with the Denver's of the world, then maybe they do pull the trigger, but I don't know if he moves the needle enough or if he makes them better enough, but yeah, I mean, if another star becomes available, you know, I, I definitely think they're the kind of team that would, you know, try to extend this, uh, championship run for another, you know, one or two years, uh, because you, you bring back Draymond green, you, they obviously have Steph Curry committed there. Um, Clay has been struggling a lot and it's been tough to watch, but yeah, yeah, I could see them kind of making a move and trying to put another piece alongside Steph and Draymond and some of these pieces there. So it'll be interesting. Uh, Now you have a new front office too, you know, new GM that's kind of uh, calling the shots. So I wonder if he is more focused on maybe the future than trying to push all of his chips in and and extend the championship run. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see kind of what, what happens there. Um, I'm not sure Levine is the right answer, but could a similar kind of trade, uh, makes sense, possibly. So they're, they're a good one. I mean, they definitely have been uh, struggling lately. I think, what, six losses in a row. They they have not looked like themselves. Um, I think entering this year, there was all this hype. Everyone's talking about how Chris Paul is going to come in and they're going to be back to, near the top of the West and it just has not happened. So yeah, they're an interesting team that I could see making some changes. But um, how much, the question is, do they value Levine? And how much are they willing to give up as far as those young assets? You know, are they willing to completely mortgage their future for another one or two years as a contender, that's kind of the big question. Um, all right, let's end on this note. My Bucks, your Colts, we talked about it earlier. I love Anthony Richardson. I, I'm devastated that he had the seasoning injury. I had him in multiple fantasy leagues, and he was killing it. Um, I have Jonathan Taylor in a few leagues now, so I am conflicted. <laughs> uh, I definitely, I don't know, my Bucks team, they just don't look very good these days. I, I've accepted the fact that we're not going to be a legitimate contender anytime soon. Basically, the only way we're making the playoffs is if because our division is so awful, maybe we win eight, nine games and sneak in and host a playoff game just because the Saints, Panthers, and uh, Falcons just look awful, too. Um, but what are your thoughts on this Colts team this year and in, in the matchup against my Bucks?
1: Oh, God. The first month of the season, Alex, was the most fun I've had as a Colts fan and probably since the prime Andrew luck years, which was around 2014, 2015 before he started getting get an injury. And the way Anthony Richson was on the field, every single snap he took, i I've seen tickets as well. So I'm able to watch him up close mm-hmm. and he just has that aura about him as the young kids say that he has that just electricity about his game or anytime he touches the ball, he could go for 50 yards through the air with his arm or he could throw it, he could run 60 yards with the legs. And that's what you need nowadays in the modern NFL is these mobile dynamic quarterbacks that you can just have to say, hey, go win us a game. And I think Anthony Richardson in a very small sample size has kind of shown us that so far, that viral clip of him with Aaron Donald just, like a car crash, Aaron Donald hits him right here, and he still throws it 60-plus yards down the field on, on a rope. Th- th- those kind of moments from Anthony Richardson were fantastic, and that game against Houston as well. He had three rushing touchdowns in the first half and unfortunately gets a concussion. Uh, I think Anthony Richardson kind of, to me, feels like the more modernized version of Cam Newton, and that's to me, is very exciting as a Colts fan. And we've kind of seen it with Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts, obviously Patrick Mahomes. They'll get these guys a superstar receiver. And I think the Colts can be a really good team very, very quickly. And that's, as a Colts, fan, I hope they do that via the draft or via the trade, whatever they want to do. But I think Anthony Richardson in only four games kind of shouldn't be a star-level quarterback. And I think the Colts, if they play their cards right, they keep him healthy. That's the big thing now. If, if he stays healthy, I think the Colts can be very good for a very long time. And on Sunday here, I mean, crazy enough, but the Colts are in the, are, are the ninth season in the AFC right now. And if they beat your Bucks on Sunday – The Eagles beat, I think, I forget who they play, but the Eagles beat somebody, and then the Jags beat the Texans. The Colts are actually the seventh seed in the AFC, which is crazy to say without Anthony Richardson for the last month plus of the season. Gardner Minshew, though, I mean, the last month has been very tough to watch. I think teams are figuring out what to do. And you look ahead to that game on Sunday, Alex, that Bucks defense, even though it doesn't have the same pieces as it used to, it could be a long, long day for Gardner Minshew. So it's going to be, if I make a prediction, I think it's going to be a very, very ugly game on both sides of the ball.
0: I could see that. The Bucks secondary has been so brutal, though. I mean, giving up long plays. I think, uh, so the last couple of weeks, obviously they did, good, did a good job against Will Levis, but Brock Purdy had a perfect QB rating uh, yesterday, which is wild. And then uh, CJ Stroud obviously broke the rookie record for most rece- er, uh, passing yards against Todd Bowles in his defense. Now Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean are both injured, too. So we could be down both second, you know, both cornerbacks. So I don't know. It could be really ugly. Um, this Bucks team, their, their pass rush has been good. You know, uh, there's definitely bright spots on the defensive side, but the secondary has just been brutal aside from Antoine Winfield. So I don't know. I could see the Bucks losing this game. They've, they've lost some, some winnable games this year. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I could see this team blowing it somehow. And I, I think the team's kind of give up on Todd Bowles. That's my opinion. They seem like they're tuning him out. Um, I think it doesn't help that after every single loss, Todd Bowles is out there saying, Oh, you know the players need to execute better and never taking any accountability. It's always the players. And oh, we practiced the right things and the game plan was perfect, but the players didn't execute. Like that yeah, gets that's old. He like loses locker
1: room. Honestly, he course. does
0: it every single week, and I think that gets really old. You know, I've never heard Todd Bowles take accountability once in a press conference, so I think that's pretty tough. So I would not be surprised if Todd Bowles is uh is fired either mid season or after this season. Um, it's looking pretty rough in Tampa, but I agree with you on uh, on Anthony Richardson. The fact that he was able to come in and look so dominant so quickly whenever the, the you know, talk about him was that it's going to be, he's a project and needs time to develop and, you know, people would bring up his uh, negatives in college. The fact that he just kind of was lighting up teams and arguing, showing so many bright spots in, in the first, you know, couple games of his NFL career makes me really excited. Now, you know, obviously, hopefully he can stay healthy. That's the big question with him. But, after a year of being around the NFL and around coaches and having all the resources to kind of get better, I can't wait to see what he looks like. You know, one or two years from now, whenever you know he's not just trying to figure it out. Like he'll be, uh, I, I think he'll be one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, especially like one of the top fantasy quarterbacks. I love him in yeah. fantasy just because of his rushing and stuff. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. Hopefully they can get him some another weapon. Like you said, you know that's kind of been the key in recent years. Whether it's Tua, Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, all these teams are going out and trying to, you know, Justin Fields with DJ Moore. That was the hope. Um, Go try to get this guy a a number one wide receiver. Uh, And then Michael Pittman can kind of slide to the second receiver role. Um, And then Josh Downs. I'm a huge fan of him in the slot too. He He looks great. great. So yeah, I like this team a lot. And then hopefully next year we get to see more of Richardson and and JT together because that can be a lethal rushing duo. We saw,
1: I think it was 12 plays with them before Anthony Richardson, unfortunately, got hurt. And I think we saw exactly how dominant that could be as far as a rushing attack goes. But I hope for the Bucks' sake, Alex, I mean you just mentioned I hope I think Todd Bowles is the wrong hire for them. I think they need an offensive minded coach. I actually like your offensive coordinator. I think he's been pretty good for them in, in moments. And I think if you can go get, let's say, a Caleb Williams or you probably have to lose out for this, but a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, go get a creative offensive mind as your head coach. That's kind of the model nowadays with Anthony Richardson with Shane Steichen in that Eagles offense, the perfect fit for him to develop. I hope for the Bucks fans' sake that they get a creative offensive mind get a perfect quarterback for that system in this year's draft and just let it develop.
0: Yeah. I've been saying that in my group chats with buddies and stuff like there's been mock drafts that have six or seven first round quarterbacks this year. So go draft a quarterback, go hot, go, go try to find the next McVay, McDaniel, Stike, like go up, find a young up and coming offensive mind. I would keep Canales on the staff, the offensive coordinator. He's been fantastic. Uh, He's had ups and downs. Maybe fantastic is a strong word, but you know, he's, young. I like his energy. I like his positivity. You know, he uses the analytics. He seems like he's, you know, one or two years away from being a really good coach. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hope they can land a top draft pick fine and then just upgrade at QB and coach. And then you have bright spots on the offensive line with Tristan Wirfs, Luke Kadecki, you know, they have Rashad White has stepped up and played well lately, you know, on defense, there are bright spots like on the D line and Antoine Winfield and stuff. So, We'll see. I'm hoping they can get a high draft pick, but it might be tough. Um, but it's always, I appreciate you jumping on here and chat with me. It's yeah. always fun talking NBA, talking NFL with you. Can you kind of let people know where they can uh, find your work?
1: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at EastSider, as you see on the screen here. I contribute sometimes on Forbes Sports as well. You can follow my links on Forbes Sports. And I'm also in the process of kind of creating a Substack a little bit. I'm kind of trying to figure out the right time to launch it. but I'll be launching a sub-stack here pretty soon covering the NBA. I might sprinkle in my own coverage on different sports as well to see what happens there but you can follow most of my work on twitter or x and you can also
0: follow most of my work on four sports with timing awesome make sure you guys follow east Sidery does a fantastic job my guy evan uh if you guys want to hear more episodes of this show check us out on twitter x check us out on youtube check us out on spotify apple podcast anywhere you want to listen we drop new episodes every tuesday and friday at 6 p.m eastern time thanks for hanging out with us until next time thanks for watching